Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Joe Marie, joined by my man, Luke Palmer. The work week is just about finished up. We're headed into the weekend, Luke. How excited are you? <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm very excited for some football. Uh, we had we had one hell of a game last night. I'm not I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, I'm excited. Yes. So last week's Thursday night football and Thursday night football games tend to be ugly on on that short week was one for the record books with the return of the 2004 Madden superstar Michael Vick. <laughs> so in the end, the Ravens somehow, some way, triumphed over the Steelers, 23 to 20. Luke, you said you had gotten a chance to catch some of that game. What did you see throughout that made this a dumpster fire, but an intriguing one? (laughs) And dumpster fire is exactly how – it's a great way to describe this. I mean, overall, like the game itself, it it was fun because it was a tight game and it was always competitive throughout, but – Overall, just the the gameplay, the the play calling, it was just so ugly. It, it was a little bit depressing to watch. It was exciting, but there were so many moments where you could say to yourself, "Oh, like what, what are they doing? How can you?" It was frustrating, but it was, it was a good game. Um, and what's what's a little bit for me at least. I was expecting a much better performance game. Obviously, as you said, the 4 man superstar <laughs> Michael Vick made his triumphant return. I'm not sure if you can call it triumphant because they lost, but uh, overall, again, it was we just saw basically another tight game between division rivals as we always do. It was, and that was one of the the headlines going into this game. Is it's still Steelers Ravens, although they've lost so much. However, the team leading the division right now at 3-0 and a very quiet 3-0 is the Cincinnati Bengals, but but on the game itself, it was dominated by the rushing attack. After two bad weeks, Justin Forsett turned it loose, 27 carries, 150 yards. Le'Veon Bell went off for 129 yards and a touchdown, but it wasn't as if the Ravens won this game. I don't give them too much, if any, credit for the way they handled the situation they went into. They got to play a Steelers team without Ben Roethlisberger on a short week of practice with a quarterback that hasn't been in his prime for seven, seven, eight years. You know, a running quarterback who can't really run anymore, and yet they still only pulled out a victory because the Steelers kept handing them the game. It was like a hot potato, Luke. I don't want it. You take it. It was, <laughs> it was a disaster. Absolutely, and all those missed field goals by the Steelers. I mean, it, it was just this Steelers offense is not what we're used to seeing. They're not, especially not the team that started out the season two and one and was arguably one of the best teams in the AFC. Mm. Um, I mean, of course, Le'Veon Bell had himself a game, uh, twenty-two carries, one hundred twenty-nine yards, and touchdown. But like you said, Michael Vick, he he's a running quarterback, and he wasn't good at the running, <laughs> and his uh, passing did not did not you know do incredible things either. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that's what, what I was kind of looking forward to in this game was how Michael Vick was going to have his presence on that team felt and, uh, whether or not that happened, I don't know. The Steelers lost and the Steelers did not look like the old Steelers we were used to seeing. So for anyone who didn't see it at home, uh, Steelers kicker, Josh Scobie, who they traded for, uh, they let go of their kicker and they traded for the Jaguars kicker, figuring he has plenty of experience kicking field goals. Scobie missed Two field goals near the end of that game that could have clinched a 49-yarder and a 41-yarder. But here's an interesting statistic for you. Um, Kickers are 27 of 29 on 50-plus yard field goals at Heinz Field. That's a very low rate. That's It's minuscule. Yeah. And the fact that there have only been 27 attempted 50-yard field goals at Himes Field really speaks to that's generally held information. <laughs> so Josh Scobie, he missed those kicks, and those are kicks that I'm kind of surprised he hasn't been released yet because he has not been kicking the ball at all. But I'm not putting this solely on the, on the shoulders of, of Josh Scobie. Todd Haley, the offensive coordinator, it was, it was as he was trying to play mad with 2004 Michael Vick. That <laughs> run on fourth and two in overtime – he, they ran the ball on a QB lead to the left side, which is something I haven't really seen since Pop Warner. And you have Le'Veon <laughs> Bell in the backfield. Well, what's Todd Haley thinking there, Luke? So I have no idea, to be honest with you, Joe. And, and yes. I, I think it's just baffling, not only our minds, not only analysts everywhere, but the Pittsburgh Steelers fans' minds. Because it, it's just so – I mean, you can understand from, from a standpoint, oh, it's fourth and two, two yards, like hmm. that's not – but for me in that situation, it was just so bizarre. And, again, I mean, I know the Steelers, they, they don't like to – there's been a lot of, whether it was Mike Tomlin or, or the owner, saying, uh, oh, yeah, we're going to go for two points now because it's, it's just so hard for kickers now, not just with the extra points, but just in general, especially in Pittsburgh. But 
I don't know why they make that call. And, and then to follow that up on fourth and one again with Mike Vick throwing across his body on and out, that's a pass you'd expect him to make, but but play into his hands. Let him throw to his strong side. Let him turn. Antonio Brown's going to get open if he's on the right or the left side of the field. But you're not putting Vick or Brown in a position to succeed. And for the Ravens, finally they convert. Flacco throws to Kamar Aiken, of all people, because Steve Smith Sr. had been knocked out of the game, something he was less than thrilled about. But they <laughs> somehow avoid the 0-4 start. Do the Ravens have a chance to contend in this division? A chance. I mean... To answer that question, absolutely. They came in today, it was must, or last night, excuse me, must-win situation. They started out 0-3. They're going against the division rival. They have to get this win. On so many levels, they have to get this win. And, and they kept their hopes alive. I don't know, you know, three, four weeks from now, we're saying the same things about the Ravens. We're going to have to wait and see. But they still do have a, uh, have a chance. And against the Steelers offense who had, or Steelers team who had, Ben Roethlisberger, who showed you know that that they're going to be one of the, the teams you have to mess with to to get to the top of the AFC. They got that win tonight, and, uh, excuse me, last night, and they they of course they still have a ch- they still have a shot to compete. Um, on another level, to be exact, on Steve Smith not being too happy about that <laughs> list, I just want to oh, say for for exact terms what he said. Mike Mitchell's on my lifetime hit list. Was <laughs> what. Steve Smith said. And coming off the only month, uh, September of this month was the only month since September of 2009 that an NFL player has not been arrested. <laughs> I don't know, Steve Smith Sr., if you come out and say, oh, he's on my hit list. Yeah. And the other thing, Lawrence Timmons was actually the player that hit him. It was not Mike Mitchell. Yeah. So Steve Smith Sr., in, in addition to being one of the most contentious, chippy, fun-to-watch guys in the league, not that he wasn't correct. I mean, if you're going to go and threaten somebody, you better be darn sure you know who you're threatening. Absolutely. But Steve Smith Sr., I mean, you talk about an ageless, ageless guy, a fearsome competitor. He's third in the league in receiving right now. He has 373 yards and two touchdowns through three weeks. And that's Joe Flacco has not been good so far this NFL season. Mm-hmm. So Steve Smith Sr. is a testament to the kind of toughness that's become the norm in Baltimore. It's the reason that the Ravens keep contending, and they're going to need every, every scrap of it if they're expecting to do anything, really, going forward. Uh, they're, they're still down in this division. They, you, you can pretend all you want that they kind of saved themselves last night. They're still in dire straits. They're 1-3. Yeah. They're at the very bottom of their division still. There's a big hole to climb out of. So transitioning out of this game, and um, I thought it was the one, we're going to go to some more general NFL stuff for today. So let's talk about our game of the week, which we had discussed. Vikings-Broncos, Peyton Manning, proud, talented quarterback. You see the decline, and you see more now more than ever, Peyton Manning is more reliant on his mind than his arm. What have you seen through Peyton Manning through three weeks? And admittedly, he's undefeated. It's not like they're suffering performance-wise. The decline of Peyton Manning, how noticeable has it been to you, and how important will it be going forward, Luke? I mean, overall, I think it goes out to everyone. The decline has been very noticeable. Um, he's not necessarily the Peyton Manning who we've seen the past couple seasons, which is a, uh, rather than the, the Peyton Manning who was 10 years ago, a 25-year-old Peyton Manning who was top of the league. He still was top of the league the past couple seasons, but there's been such a dramatic decline, and you, you can see it on the field, too. He, you know, Obviously, he's a veteran. He's a grizzly veteran who can get it done, but, but now more than ever, he's kind of relying, as you said, on his mind more than his offensive line, more than his playmaking ability. Um, and uh, he, I mean, obviously, they're still undefeated. They're, they're doing well, but uh, the decline is there. Um, Peyton Manning will still be a household name, but the bottom line is the Broncos are going to have to find more ways to win rather than just relying on Peyton. So the, the one big takeaway from all of this and something people don't talk about, Manning's offensive line hasn't been great. And whether that was Tom Brady last year, Eli Manning this year, or Andrew Luck through the first three weeks, if you don't have a solid offensive line, if you get gun-shy in that pocket, it is so hard to be a good NFL quarterback. It's so hard. These are giant, giant humans sprinting at you full speed, unimpeded, getting into you any way they can. And they're making life very, very difficult on Peyton Manning. And to this, to this matchup in particular, the Vikings knocked down Phillip Rivers last week 11 times. 11 times. So wow. that means there's no break right now for Peyton Manning. He's getting a lot of pressure in his face. However, as bad as Peyton Manning has been, and not to say he's been you know, terrible, but five touchdowns and three interceptions by Peyton Manning standards isn't very good. However, their defense has been phenomenal. I believe Denver's defense has been 
probably the best in the NFL with you know DeMarcus Ware coming off that edge, Vaughn Miller coming off the other edge, Akeem Dalib locking down your one receiver. That's what's going to carry him this year more than anything. How unusual is that, though, for Peyton Manning fans and Broncos fans to think, oh, we need, we need the defense, too? We can't just hang <laughs> 45 a game? Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the thing. His Overall, his play, his, over, he's just not there yet. I don't know if he'll find himself there in the, in the season. Maybe it's just a late start. But, again, they're, they're having to find other ways. Their defense is becoming arguably the most important it's ever been now. Their, their defense has to solidify. They have to make up for, for the lack of uh, production on, as far as the offense goes. And it's funny you mention that offensive line because that offensive line is not good. They have some pieces, but they are just not good. And the importance of the offensive line, people talk about the game overall more passing than rushing. But now uh, the Cowboys, the past three drafts, they've drafted offensive linemen in the first round, and they have the best offensive line, no question about it in the NFL. and It's one of those things we were talking about before the broadcast. So through week three, there is not a single running back who's averaging more than 100 yards per game. Not that 100 yards is easy to get to, but you figure with all the talent out there, there'd be a guy or two over it. And there are eight wide receivers, eight, who have accounted for more than 300 yards through three weeks. That's sensational to me. And that, more than anything, speaks to the fact that this is a passing league right now. And that the things that are superbly important are your tackle protection, your ability to run these quick little routes to soften up the defense and attack over the middle. A dominant rushing attack doesn't really matter as much as it used to, Luke. And it's, it's so funny to watch. And to the point that these, these guys are suffering behind bad offensive lines, the NFLPA and NFL agreed um, over the offseason to really limit the amount of work you can do in full pads. Mm. And that doesn't really hurt the wide receivers because, okay, you know, I'm running my route anyway. You know, if he's jamming me, we can do that without pads. That's really hurting these offensive linemen and the lack of quality sessions they have to round into game form. This is their preseason for a lot of offensive lines. But that's not good because right now some of the league's marquee quarterbacks are banged up. Lux banged up. Drew Brees is, is probable this week. He missed his first game, I believe, ever in a Saints uniform last week. Eli Manning's always harried. There's a lot of primetime quarterbacks hurt, and I think a result of it is, like you said, teams aren't focusing on the offensive line and cultivating that talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, for me, you know, they say, and I stick by this phrase, you, you're only a true fan if you know every name of your offensive lineman. <laughs> and, I like that. And the importance of that for me and for teams everywhere, uh, not not just with rushing, but having your, your quarterback have enough time to make the, the, the right decision, that right decision in the two ten, four seconds they have. It's so imperative. And getting him another second, getting him another couple seconds, it's so important and and it's it's a must-have for any team that wants to succeed. We see it with Tom Brady in New England or, or you know any other team that has gone the past few seasons, the Seahawks. They've always had a solid offensive line. I absolutely agree. It's just one of those things that it's entirely noticeable on Sunday that this Broncos pass rush is so vital to their team, and they're getting after the quarterback. Like you said, 40% of the dropbacks. 40 of the time you take a snap facing the Broncos, you're going to be under fire. And that's the only thing covering for Peyton Manning right now. I'm a, I'm a big Peyton Manning fan. I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan. I have nothing but respect for the way that guy plays the game. I still wake up in cold sweats thinking Peyton Manning audibling when he was in a Colts uniform because that was how good this guy is. But he doesn't have that same kind of touch. That two-minute drill against the Chiefs then the game that they somehow won, which was remarkable back a week ago, that was not Peyton Manning's arm. Those throws were ducks. It was just his mind is still at this platform, but the arm's catching up to him. I mean, a 5-3 and three interception ratio, touchdown interception ratio, for any other quarterback in the NFL is, okay, I'm throwing more touchdowns than interceptions. My, my team's doing fine. But for Peyton Manning, that, that's not ideal. And tra- transition this into another guy. Peyton Manning is a consensus top three quarterback. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. How about this guy that everyone in America had coronated as the next big thing, the next Hall of Famer, the undefeatable, the um, unbelievable Andrew Luck, who thus far looks terrible, just <laughs> terrible. And there, there's nothing, there's no other way to say that. Andrew <laughs> Luck, the guy who has been heralded as the best prospect since Peyton Manning, the guy who who went into Indianapolis first season there, brings him to the playoffs. He's been nothing but terrible so far this season. And I love Andrew Luck. I, I think that the way he plays the game, the way he carries himself and that team is incredible. It's remarkable. But 
he's just been absolutely terrible. And you can blame it. I mean, that line over there in Indianapolis is, is also terrible. Abysmal. But he just hasn't been able to find his targets, and nobody knows why. This is a team that people have been saying, yes, they're going to be in the playoffs. They may make it to the AFC Championship game. They may even make it to the Super Bowl, depending on, on how they can perform in the playoffs, if this team can come together. And Andrew Luck, he, he's in his fourth season now. It's, it doesn't look like it's come together. It doesn't, all the progress he's no. made this season so far, it has not looked good so far. And here's something. Andrew Luck doesn't take the same kind of heat from the media that these other quarterbacks do. We're right now, everyone's in an uproar about the decline of Peyton Manning. A year ago, we had all but buried Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. Oh, he's not, he's not very sturdy. No one gets more of a pass than Andrew Luck. He has more turnover since the start of last season than anybody. The next closest is Jay Cutler, and I believe Jay Cutler, the immortal Jay Cutler, has turned the ball over four fewer times than Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck's still a young guy. Andrew Luck hasn't proved anything. That's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to, to get across to our, our listeners. Andrew Luck, every, you know, they pick him to win the Super Bowl this year. Andrew Luck can't get it done in the playoffs when it matters. He's gone into Gillette twice and thrown up a stinker against the Patriots. And granted, those are pretty good Patriots team. Those are Bill Belichick coach team. <laughs> you want to take the next step, just like Peyton Manning, you have to exercise your demons. And until Andrew Luck does something in the playoffs, and until he stops turning the ball over, I'm not impressed by Andrew Luck. And I think that's a... <laughs> That's a crazy thing to say midway through, you know, his his fourth season in the NFL. But yeah. I'll stick by it. And if he proved me wrong, he proves me wrong. But up until now, he's just been a, an above average young quarterback who mm-hmm. has a propensity to turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. And that and and that exactly is how it is. And as you said, the media I think kind of portrays him as oh yeah, he's 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 incredible. Like he's already reached this. He's already gone through milestones. And I'm sure he has, but. He's still not as good as everyone thinks he is. Absolutely. So before we transition into our weekly Giants and Jets report, um, let me ask you, Luke, who has been your biggest surprise team, good or bad, thus far in the NFL? Who's a team you look at and go, I didn't think you were that good, or wow, I did not know you were that bad? <laughs> For me, one team, and and again, it's it's somewhat because in the division they're, they're in, uh, you know, you don't expect them to be in, atop that division. One team has been incredibly good as the Cardinals. Out there, Carson Palmer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to tell people he was my cousin back in third grade. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> great resemblance. I know you can't see at home, you. but basically twins. Yeah, pretty much, you know. <laughs> but uh, the way he's come back from injury and led that team, Larry Fitzgerald is performing like the Larry Fitzgerald. We thought he was five, six years ago when, when the Cardinals were in the Super Bowl. Carson Palmer has come in, and he's shown – not just flashes of brilliance. He's shown what he's capable of in Arizona. They're 3-0 and right now. They've gotten wins. They, they've scored the most points in the NFL at 126 so far. And and they're, beating, they're leading the NFC West by two games so far. And It's incredible. Absolutely. And, and everyone was expecting the defense to be one of the top defenses in, in the NFL, obviously with Patrick Peterson back there, a couple other guys. But... This this offense has transformed, and they've they're going to continue doing that in my in my opinion. And Carson's not going to stop unless he gets injured. And I think that's such a key thing for that Cardinals offense is keeping Carson Palmer under center and having him get the ball to Larry Fitzgerald or, and the rest of the receivers. Got to keep Carson Palmer healthy. Last year, the Cardinals were one of the best teams in the NFL until he went down and then turned to, gosh, I couldn't even name the backups, <laughs> but my goodness, they were terrible. Uh, Carson Palmer has been playing unbelievable, and it's so good to see because this is a guy that everyone wrote off for dead, that he got hurt a few times. He he was the next big thing coming out of USA. He was unbelievable for a few seasons there for Cincinnati. Then he got a little banged up. Who knows what's happening? He can't stay in the lineup. He's got the Cardinals doing well. Then they go down. But he's playing the best football of his career right now, and he's he's a top-three quarterback in football right now and I think Bruce Arians deserves a lot of credit for this as well but here's the deal it is only week three (laughs) and the Cardinals (laughs) were undefeated through week three last year and and he got hurt so right now we're going to transition into our weekly Giants report by our main man beat reporter Christian O'Hare and he's going to give us his update on the Giants season to date the Giants are coming off their first win of the season Big Blue hopes to make it two in a row as they face the Buffalo Bills. The G-Men will certainly have their hands full with the Buffalo defense that ranks first in the NFL against the run. Conversely, New York hasn't been able to run the ball well consistently for years. 
Rex Ryan and company will look to keep that trend going and try to harass Eli Manning into making errant throws. He will also be without Victor Cruz for yet another week. Cruz suffered a setback on his calf injury during practice this week. I'm sure the team is certainly frustrated. The Giants' offensive line is up for their biggest test of the season on Sunday. Keeping Eli upright might decide the outcome of the game. Here's Coach Coughlin on facing the Bills. They have an outstanding array of talent, both defensively and offensively. The number one rushing team in the NFL, they're the number one rush defense in the NFL. On the other side of the ball, the Giants' defense must limit Tyrod Taylor and keep him inside the pocket. The dual threat Taylor has looked impressive this season, with his ability to extend plays and find open receivers while outside the pocket. Buffalo will be without their top two players on offense as LaShawn McCoy and Sammy Watkins have been ruled out with hamstring and calf injuries respectively. This makes it imperative for the secondary to lock on to Robert Woods, Percy Harvin, and Charles Clay, who will be targeted more due to the McCoy and Watkins injuries. New York has done a good job at forcing turnovers this season, a trend that will have to continue in order for the team to have a shot to win on Sunday. In the end, I don't think the Giants will be able to run the ball well enough to set up the passing game. Buffalo boasts one of the best defensive linemen in football and will prove it on Sunday. The Giants' defense has struggled in the past with mobile quarterbacks, and Taylor will likely have success against this unit. I like the Bills in this one, 28-20. With the Giants report, I'm Christian O'Hara, WFUV Sports. That's our main man, Christian O'Hara, our Giants beach reporter. So yes, this is not an easy matchup for the Giants, especially trying to pick up some momentum, coming off that first win. Everything about the Bills is going to be an issue for them. This is really a nightmare matchup in a lot of ways because, like you said, it starts with the run game. For Eli Manning to be successful, they need to establish that run game. And that's, I just don't see that happening with Rashard Jennings up the middle against this stout Bills front. You know, Marcel Darius, Jerry Hughes, they're very good up front, and the Giants traditionally, at least since 2007, have not been. They've mm-hmm. not been good up front. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you, overall, since since that 07 line that I love to death, that 07 line that beat your Patriots, unfortunately, Joe, that the offensive line has been a consistent area of struggle. Um, we, the Giants have drafted a few linemen who have performed less than expectations, um, and the run game is not what it used to be. Uh, and and I think oh, not just what it used to be, but the Giants seem like they don't know what they're doing. No, and I think I don't think the Giants are a very good football team to put, to put it bluntly. <laughs> they've somehow though they've outscored their opponents forty five to twenty nine through the first three quarters. But in weeks one and two, they really reinvented ways to lose ball games. But here's the, here's the main issue: they invested a lot in the secondary. They have they have a lot of talent back there. Rogers, Camardi, Landon Collins. The problem is this pass rush, which anemic is almost too strong of a term because it's the worst-rated pass rush in the NFL. They've somehow only picked up three sacks thus far. And the big byproduct of that is that they're allowing their secondary to get lit on fire. They've surrendered 1,000 yards through three games, 1,007 to be precise. That's more than 330 yards per game. And, you know, that's against, I guess, solid quarterbacks. But, Sam, you know, they're not... You know, these aren't prime-time, prime-time quarterbacks. You know, they played Kirk Cousins last week, for goodness sake, and Kirk Cousins actually threw some, you know, for decent yardage. Granted, he had a few turnovers in there, as as Kirk Cousins tends to, but they need these dominant Giants teams of pass. The teams that went in and somehow took out the Patriots twice were predicated off that pass rush, and that we can do anything we need to with a good pass rush. And right now, without Jason Pierre-Paul in there, it looks like four guys they found at Walmart <laughs> trying to get after the passer. And it's allowing this pretty talented secondary to just be beaten badly. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing. I mean, the secondary, in my opinion, they haven't been that bad. I, you know, you've got guys out there like DRC, like Landon Collins, like Amukamar. They're, they're good enough. They're not terrible. But if you don't have anybody giving pressure the entire game on that lineman in, in through blitz packages... They're just going to get, you know, tired out. And I think that's what ha- what's happened the past couple of weeks. The Giants have had these games, and and they've been torched in the fourth quarter because I think because the defensive, the defense secondary is just too tired. They can't put up. And they don't have anybody to rush. And Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, I'm a Giants fan. You know, I can say a lot of things about Jason Pierre-Paul, but he... We we need that guy who has the ability to get to the pass rush, but you more importantly need somebody else who can help him. One player just can't carry a defense. It, it doesn't work that way. 
it is an interesting matchup uh, of strength on strength. So because Tyrod Taylor, who's who's been very successful numerically, they, they try and put him in as good a position as they can to succeed with that run game. So they averaged the Bills 4.7 yards per carry. LaShawn McCoy, I think with him out, Carlos Williams is going to get a big dose of carries. That's a big back. But the Giants do rank second in run defense. They're only allowing 75 yards per game. So that's exactly that, that could be a stalemate. That could be something where the Giants very very much so settle down. They stuff the run. The problem is just going to be that pass rush. Because Tyrod Taylor, anyone who saw him week two against the Patriots and the Bills Super Bowl, the game that was so hyped up, the we're gonna go out and we're gonna beat the defending champions, we're gonna prove that the Bulls are the backyard bully. When there's pressure in Tyrod Taylor's face, he's not a good NFL quarterback. He threw three of the worst interceptions I've seen in a long time, including two where the intended target might as well have been listed as one of the Patriots' safeties. Mm-hmm. You need to get pressure on him to show his flaws, and he's got plenty of them. He really, he's got warts on him. He's got great numbers through three weeks in the NFL, but Colin Kaepernick did for a few years, and look <laughs> at him now. When this season started and you were to tell me, Joe, that Tyrod Taylor would be one of the best quarterbacks in the <laughs> NFL, I would have laughed. I, I would have I would have asked you what planet you were on. I mean, and and for especially for a team that, you know, going in they acquire LaShawn McCoy, people were saying he's gonna get upwards of three hundred carries this season. You were expecting the Bill and that uh, gr- that good offense front. We're expecting the Bills to be a run first team. And then Tyrod Taylor comes to this, comes to the scene, LaShawn McCoy gets hurt. And the Bills are beating everyone with the pass more than the rush. They're, Tyrod Taylor, right now, people are considering him as one of the candidates for MVP. I mean, how is he one of the candidates for MVP, Tyrod <laughs> Taylor? We've officially enter, <laughs> entered bizarre world with Tyrod Taylor. You know, seven, seven touchdowns, three interceptions. If you take out that Patriots game, he has no interceptions. Yeah. Um, but, but that's the thing. There is a blueprint on how to beat Tyrod Taylor. There's a blueprint on how to beat the Bills offensively. Because the Patriots are the only team to, to beat the Bills. I know I'm a Patriots fan. I keep going back to it. It's those quick passes. Yeah. It's, all right, I don't care that you spent more than $100 million on your defensive line. It's going to be hard for them to do anything when the ball's coming out in less than two seconds, so we're going to pick on your soft zone. We're going to pick on your cornerbacks. We're going to frustrate the heck out of you. We're going to throw little screens. We're going to do all these things. If the Giants are going to have any success, they got to utilize Shane Vereen out of the backfield. They need Larry Donnell to turn into that one that one week fantasy star that we all thought he was. But I don't see them doing it. The only proven commodity they're going to have on this field is Odell Beckham Jr., and you can't run 4,000 slants to Odell Beckham Jr. in a game, although I'm sure our beat reporter Christian O'Hara would not complain with that strategy. I'm sure that might be their best strategy. So that that's the fact of the matter. They're not going to run. Rashard Jennings and Andre Williams – Good, good guys, I'm sure. They're not going to have any success against this Bills defensive front because no one has because they're hundred. They, they're paid that much money for a reason. Marcel Darius, Kai Williams, Jerry Hughes, these are incredible talents up front. They're going to make it hard. They're going to need to beat them on the shoulders of Eli Manning. And apologies to Eli Manning. I don't think he can do it with this cast of, of, of skill players. I don't think they've surrounded him with the kind of talent they need. And quite frankly, I don't have a lot of faith in, in Tom Coughlin to, to, to devise a fair game plan to go into Buffalo, which I know everyone makes fun of Buffalo because, you know, it's, it's Buffalo. It's a loud stadium. Those people love football. They Absolutely. really they live for those bills. And for Eli Manning to go in there trying to use that silent count against a vicious front with no run game, I don't like their chances. I really don't. And it hurts me to say this, especially as a big Giants fan, but the odds are just not in the Giants' favor. I mean, home field advantage is huge, huge. And uh, especially in Buffalo, especially with one guy we forgot to mention, Mario Williams, first or f- former first overall pick. Oh, yes. Uh, they're going to have to find a way to, to win. The only way they find a way to win is either the defense looks completely different than it's looked the past three weeks or Eli Manning somehow finds a way and the Giants offense finds a way to beat the Bills defense, but I just don't see it happening. They're going to have to take their chances in a little bit of single coverage. The cornerback talent's there, Mukamara, DRC. Landon Collins is a, a great athlete at safety. You want to beat him, take your chance. Play a little man-to-man. Play as much man-to-man as you can. If you can't get pressure with four or five, shoot, send six. Mm-hmm. Send more people than they have. <laughs> if you can't get to them then, you're not going to win a game any, anyway, much much less. You need to strategize. And I think a lot of the onus this week in turning this into a ball game is on the shoulders of Tom Coughlin. Um, and I think you know, Tom Coughlin – Tom, say what you will, that's been bad clock management those first two weeks really hurt him. And last week, again, in that fourth quarter against the Redskins of all teams, 
I didn't think it was a particularly well-coached game, but we'll see. It's the NFL. You need to just survive. They, they finally won a game. You'd like to sit here and say they can ride that wave of momentum. I think that ride of you know the, the excuse me the wave of momentum comes to a crashing halt against that big front in Buffalo. So now we're going to transitions over to our Jets report with Matthew Crow, um, and we're going to get that going right now. The New York Jets are looking to rebound from their first loss of the season, a 24-17 downing by the Philadelphia Eagles at MetLife. A flurry of Jets' mistakes, missed tackles, and turnovers gave the Eagles their first win of the season. The defense was able to hit their stride in the second half, shutting out Sam Bradford and the Eagles. However, the offense struggled all day as Ryan Fitzpatrick threw three picks, two of which were tipped, and Brandon Marshall added a fumble on a bonehead lateral. The Jets rushed for only 47 yards and missed Chris Ivory's aggressive run game as the starter was dressed but sidelined for the whole contest with a quad injury. Coach Bull's comments after the loss. We played hard. We just didn't play smart at times. We didn't make enough plays, but it's a long season. The same way we won two games and not get too high. We're not going to lose one game and not get too low. We're going to correct the mistakes. We're going to figure it out this week, and we're going to move on. The Jets are across the pond this week as they gear up to face the Miami Dolphins at Wembley Stadium. Breakfast will be served here in New York during kickoff as the game starts at 9.30. Darrell Revis talked about the challenge for both teams. This is a challenge for both ball clubs, you know, um, especially playing here in London. It's, it's a neutral it's a neutral site, so um, we both uh, you know, have to be focused for this game because it's definitely a conference game, and, it, and it's going to matter down the road. Gang Green will try to rebound against the Miami team that has not looked good, posting a 1-2 record thus far. Coach Joe Philbin seems to be on thin ice as the fourth-year coach has been figured out offensively. Will Gang Green be able to show resilience following a loss, or will the Dolphins begin to turn their season around? I believe the Jets' mantra of the season being a 16-round fight will propel Gang Green to a win. My prediction, 27-17 Jets, covering the... I'm Matthew Crow, WFUV Sports. And we're back on NFL Friday. Thank you so much to Matt Crow taking the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 to win over the pond in London, Luke. So this, this is a special game for the NFL for their, their worldwide exposure tour that doesn't involve being in the news for months and months for bad things. This is trying to spread a great game overseas, 9.30 start time. Going to be a little funky here um, for the Jets and the Dolphins. Who do you see coming out on top? Do you agree with Crow? Do you think the Dolphins finally turn it around behind their expensive free agent acquisitions? What are your thoughts? <laughs> I think the Jets pull one out. Um, it's not going to be the most flashiest games, let me tell you that. No. Especially after what happened last week. But uh, I, this Dolphins team, for everything that, that, that people have said about them, that they're looking good, Especially with the acquisition of the Damakong Su. They have not. Sue. Luke, you're killing me. I'm sorry. It's Friday. I've had a long week. I'm sorry, guys. It is NFL Friday, folks. <laughs> um, but uh, I just don't think the Dolphins are going to get this this one done um, and on on so many levels. But uh, I do think that they they take those steps necessary. I think that they can get that offensive game going. I think that Jarvis Landry has a good game. I think that uh, one guy who we haven't really talked about, who nobody really knows, he's flying under the radar a lot, is Rashard Matthews uh, in Miami. Um, He's been having a good year despite the Dolphins' woes. 262 yards and a couple touchdowns through three weeks. Those are not numbers you can keep ignoring for very long. This one, the Dolphins went out and they spend this money to grab Ndamukong and Sue. And you invest $96 million in Ryan Tannehill, and you haven't seen it thus far. They have Jarvis Landy. Rashard Matthews has been coming on. That defense is such such a disappointment. I mean, Brent Grimes is your, your undisputed number one corner. You expect so much out of him, and he just goes out there and gets torched against the Buffalo Bills. It was not – it's not pretty. And I'm putting a lot of this on the shoulders of Joe Philbin because it's not a talent issue down there in Miami anymore. It's not. It's a confidence issue, and it's an execution issue. Uh, there were you've, you've seen the reports about Ndamukong through freestyling, trying to stop teams on the ground. It doesn't matter what Ndamukong Sue's doing. He could go back to safety because they've been letting up they let up 435 yards on the ground through three games. And like we mentioned, this is a passing league now. 
This is not a ground-and-pound kind of league. And for them to have Cameron Wake and Sue on that line, Cameron Wake generated a pass rush by himself for several years. He was a one-man wrecking crew. I understand he's banged up. Teams are double-teaming Sue up front, and they have no answer for it. They're not game-planning for what they know teams are going to do. Tannehill's been sacked seven times thus far. Ever since the Richie Incognito Jonathan Martin scandal, this team has not had a cohesive offensive and defensive unit. One thing that if I was a, a excuse me a Dolphins fan would give me a little bit of hope. They've said this week that the the Jets are planning to match up Buster Scrine, their their nickel corner with with Jarvis Landry. Last time I checked, you went out and you paid an awful mo- a lot of money for Darrell Revis, who is this lockdown superstar corner who has a premonition kind of way about him where he can run the route before you can. How much does that mute matchup confuse you, Luke? I mean, if you told me that Jarvis Landry was going to match up against Buster Scrine, I would have had my head itching for many reasons. But, <laughs> I mean, I don't – There's. I'm not a Jets fan. I'm very glad that I'm not a Jets fan. <laughs> but uh, they have to do more than match up Buster Scrine with Jarvis Landry. I mean, Jarvis Landry has proven time and time again that he's capable of incredible feats uh, athletically. And receiving overall, this this matchup just confuses me. I don't I don't understand. I think that maybe they'll match up Revis more with Jarvis Landry. They maybe they, that's the thing they just said. But could be a bluff, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, overall, we'll see how this one plays out. It's it's a confusing one, but uh, hopefully it'll be good. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is still the Jets' quarterback, so make no mistakes. Very few teams will be out of it against the Jets this year, even when the immortal Geno Smith comes back. Four turnovers last week. I think you could really make a, an argument that they gave that game away, uh, that the Eagles didn't look great, and that you know the, the Jets were just more, okay, we're just going to put the ball on the ground. We're going to let up a return touchdown to Darren Sproles. What should give you a lot of faith if you're a Jets fan is this defense. And what we think of Todd Bowles' personnel matchups for this week, notwithstanding, ton of talent. Ton of talent. Cromartie, uh, Scrine. Can't remember the name of the, the safety out of out of Louisville. He's a big hitter. We'll get that up for you in a minute, folks. Calvin Pryor. Calvin Pryor just coming up and, and, and killing people. Really, that's an aggressive, well coached defense. They're all, they only let up four hundred. Excuse me. Excuse, sorry very much. Uh, Two hundred thirty-one yards. They're the fourth best defense in yards per game. All you need out of Ryan Fitzpatrick this week and every week is that game manager. Hand the ball off to Chris Ivory. Let him gash this very suspect Dolphins front. And simply put the ball in the hands of your defense. Let them create turnovers. Let them win this field position battle for you. Let them do the little things. But this is a must-win game for the Dolphins, and it's in England. So I think these are some factors that we really just can't go by the wayside with. Uh, you read the report today. The Jets are bringing over 350 rolls of toilet paper. Uh, there were some, there's some questions about the number of ply over there in England. This is interesting stuff. It shows how much the Jets are preparing to handle the foreign environment. That being said, anything can happen over there. This is this is not home turf for anyone. This is six hours from home over over the pond. How do you think that impacts the game? This is a totally different country, Luke. Uh, I mean, both teams are going to be, I think, a little bit off their usual uh, mindset, just because again, it's a different country. It's a you know when when they when the NFL has games in another in Europe in London, they're drawing NFL fans. They're not necessarily drawing that teams as fans. Like yes. the stadium will not be packed with all Jets and Miami Dolphins fans. But it's just it's it's just fans of every nature. And I think that'll throw throw the, the the teams off a little bit. But like you said earlier, when push comes to shove, both teams this is a must win. The Jets and they they should not have lost that game last no. week. They made the Eagles look like such a great team. And the Eagles have not looked like a great team whatsoever not, no. th- this this year, and they have to win this. They should be three and zero, and they can't, especially with a, a division rival. They have to win this game. The Dolphins have to win this game if they want another shot in <laughs> for for the rest of the season to, for a playoff chance. And I think this will be another game where it's abundantly clear that Joe Philbin is, does not have the the makeup of an NFL <laughs> head coach, even though that should have been clear out of the, after a what essentially amounted to a high school bullying incident in his locker room that caused him to lose control between Incognito and Martin. Mm -hmm. And now you're finally seeing the game plan that, oh, shoot, maybe Ryan Tannehill investing $96 million in this guy is not the great move. (laughs) Lamar Miller is finally not picking up numbers. But the talent's there. 
They're not executing, and that's why, like we've discussed, I think the Jets take this one home. So right now, we're going to take an abrupt transition for the fantasy lovers in the group. We're bringing in fantasy football expert Corey Miller. Corey, how is everything today? Oh, it's just going great, Joe. I mean, i got to say, you know, the rain isn't ideal, but it it makes (laughs) things interesting, you know? It's a a cold, rainy NFL Friday, which is why we hope that you're warm and comfortable somewhere listening to us today. So, Corey... How's your fantasy team doing thus far this year? Oh, let me tell you. Overall, I've had four I have four fantasy teams and the record is just great. I have two losses overall. Uh just out of the gate firing, firing. And my most importantly, I got I got Rodgers, I got Larry Fitzgerald. That combination in itself could win me a game a week. And and it probably has before. <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously. And in the FUV league, I just got to mention Christian O'Hara and I both have a 3-0 record, however. And and Matt Morrow, the three of us. Luke, Luke over here does not have a 3-0 record. But Christian, between Matt, Christian, and I, Christian's team is definitely the worst. There's no doubt about that when, when looking at the teams. Exciting stuff, though, fellas, this week. If you're looking at one player who's going to step up that hasn't done anything this season, you look to Houston. You look to Arian Foster. He's coming back from an injury, supposedly. They think he's practiced all week. He's practiced last week. They think he's finally ready to come back, and boy, do the Texans need it. Not to mention they're playing a Falcons team who just lit up a whole lot of yardage and damage by uh, Julius Randle last week against the Cowboys. I look at Arian Foster to really have a big week. Other other than him, a QB to look at, Andy Dalton. I picked him up in one of my leagues today. He's got A.J. Green. They seem to be clicking on all cylinders. Things are working for them. There's something about betting on Andy Dalton that just feels wrong. <laughs> that You know he's going to just go out and do something terrible as soon as you add him. But like you said, those numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, he's just they, they got a high flying offense. You have you have a, a couple other wide receivers, a pretty good running back. The Bengals so far have been playing really well. However, hint hint, I might I might be picking them to lose this week uh, against Kansas City. <laughs> Furthermore, Larry Fitzgerald, I mentioned him earlier, has absolutely torn it up. He's just scoring uh, uh, and at an insane rate. Carson Palmer is looking to him for his first option all the time, and he's getting open. Uh, most people probably have Larry Fitzgerald, but I think he's a surprise for anyone so far. That being said, I'm also going to take the Cardinals' defense as another team that you should definitely have. They're, they're scoring. Their secondary is on point. It's just always getting the ball, and they have a lot of good return men. One guy I want to tell you to sell right now is LaShawn McCoy. He's hurt. The hamstring has, has been you know, hurting him all year. They, they're going to sit him out this week to try to heal that. But Carlos Williams. Wow. Beast. Wow. At a, at a Florida State <laughs> has just impressed everyone so far. He's a power runner, really good through the holes, and he's been gonna, he's going to put up big points. This one might be interesting, but Luke, you wanted to make this trade with me earlier, <laughs> and I couldn't agree more. Get rid of Peyton Manning. I really believe so. Right now, do it while you can. He still is scoring high points, high numbers, but as that season goes on, as his body wears out and wears out, it's going to continue. The numbers are continuing to go down. Those ducks are going to become even, you know, more loftier, and there's <laughs> going to be a lot of more turnovers. And one last guy I want to sell is the running back for the Cardinals in, in Andre Ellington. Chris Johnson last week, 22 rushes, 110 yards, two touchdowns. You can run it in this Cardinals offense because everyone expects them to throw. And Andre Ellington so far, a lot of injury problems, especially last year. Chris Johnson has that excitable, uh, big play potential, and, and he's been playing well for the Cardinals. So I'm very glad to hear that you're doing so well this year, Corey. Um, I, I'm 0-3. <laughs> I drafted Jordy Nelson and Kelvin oh. Benjamin and LaShawn McCoy. So really, uh, good good work, Joe. I'm patting myself on the back. <laughs> Not a great start. Sleepers. That's the only way I'm going to have a chance in this league is to pick up that guy off the waiver wire that no one's seen thus far. Do you have any insight into that? Because I'm looking over this. It's like trying to find the needle in the haystack, but you kind of need it at this point. Yeah, it's absolutely tricky. Uh, one guy I think that's a, that's a good pick is Ted Ginn Jr., uh, Cam Newton seems to be looking at him a lot. If you're in a PPR league especially, Ted Ginn gets a lot of those uh, yards uh, often on the short passes, and, and he's just a very uh, – he's got a lot – he got, gets the run – he gets to run it as well. Um, another guy I'd look at is Jordan Reed for Washington. Kirk Cousins uh, isn't that great of a quarterback, but he, he looks to Reed often, and, and Reed's been doing pretty solid in fantasy this year. Um, but those are, those are my two main guys right now. I think if you have, I think one pe- person people need to be a little more patient with is Marshawn Lynch, who's had just an abysmal start, really uncharacteristic. But but the Seahawks are too good of a team in my mind to to not improve on this. And Marshawn Lynch is too much of a beast to continue being bad. Absolutely. Now, Luke, I know you just finished 
your own fantasy podcast. So if you have <laughs> any more fantasy questions, are you fantasy out today? Have you just had too much fantasy football, too many numbers? Is is it all going to your head? You seem a little flushed right now, Luke. I, I am. I'm not sure if I'm more flushed uh, that, that Corey is doing so well in our fantasy league. Um, but uh, I, unfortunately, am not doing well. Everyone I've said so far is doing well. Um, but it's one thing seeing how a guy's going to do versus actually having them on your fantasy team. Um, and, you know, I think it goes goes for everyone else. I don't know, understand why everyone's not accepting all my fabulous trades that oh I'm sending my, out. Yeah. Um, yes. But, that, well, I have a question for Corey. Now, now usually... I hope it has to do with Tyrod <laughs> Taylor. It Well, we can get into him. It, it has to do with his teammate, um, his teammate yes. of Sean McCoy. Absolutely. Now, going into the season, people were thinking that he's going to get 300 carries. He's going to do well. So far through three weeks, he's had eight points, ten points, and another eight points last week. What do you have any – I mean, usually I'm the one giving advice, but do you have any advice for me as far as whether or not I should trade him, whether I should keep him, how he's going to do? I mean, here's the deal. The more Tyrod T- Taylor improves, the better it is for LaShawn McCoy. H- having said that, as as Carlos Williams continues to play well, that's not great for LaShawn McCoy's fantasy owners. But but you know what, Luke? He's been nursing a hamstring uh, pull. They, they like to run it a lot. Their offense is going to need to be structured around the run. So I think he will be an upside. I'll admit, I picked. He was my second uh, round draft pick in my in my main league, the one where we try to get Calzones at the end. And that, that's our winning prize. But oh, um, great running prize. Yeah, but I picked him second, and and right now I'm looking to sell him. I think it's a good guy to potentially, you know, if you can try to get someone good for him in return, maybe a wideout or something along those lines, could be a good idea. Having it, it, it's a tricky with him because we've seen him be so talented, but also at the same time. Hasn't been able to put up big fantasy numbers. Mm-hmm. So Good that's that's Corey Miller's advice that will hopefully lead me out of my own three start. And maybe Luke Palmer can start listening to himself because I feel he. Uh I don't know, Luke. You got all this good advice, but your team's not good. There seems to be some disconnect here, bud. Uh, I listen. It's I would get into <laughs> it. It's only going to make me upset. <laughs> but let's work out some trades, boys. I'm open for some trades. Luke, Luke is in a desperate podcast call for trades right now, and it's only week four. This will be a story to monitor going forward. So right now on NFL Friday, we're going to tell you who are going to win this week's most important games. It's time for the Pick'em. Let's look into the crystal ball for some weekly NFL predictions. Makes you think of a, a mid-November day on the gridiron out there. Men not wearing helmets, just tackling each other. I just love that song. So we are going to go now to our pick'em. Um, so let's talk Let's talk Jets and Giants first, of course, the, the two most important game of the week. So Bills-Giants, I'm taking the Bills. I don't think it's going to be as close as Christian's going to make it. Luke? Listen, I've said time and time again, I'll take my Giants, but I cannot take my Giants this Sunday. I've got a good feeling about the Bills this week. Corey? I'll be honest with you. I'm really leaning t- towards the Giants in this game, but oh, the Bills defense up in Buffalo, weather could be a factor maybe. Waka Waka Joaquin coming in. I don't know. Bills, <laughs> Bills. We're going to send it to the back. Matt Morrow. I uh, I am, as I've said, the most pessimistic Giants fan in the land. I'm sticking with that theory. I'm going Bills. Christian O'Hara, thoughts? I love my Giants, but unfortunately the Buffalo Bills have this one, guys. Smart man. So now we move to the second New York area game of the week in, in lovely London there. That was not that was not an English accent, but we're going to roll <laughs> with the Jets over the Dolphins in a laughter, I believe. I'm taking gang green this week, guys. Uh, I just don't like the Dolphins. As the great James Decker says, squish the fish, baby. <laughs> squish the fish. J-E-T-S over the pond. Matthew? I didn't know squish the fish was a thing, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> one of the many reasons I love James Decker. Uh, I agree with him. The Jets will squish the fish. Christian? I can't stand the Jets. Miami wins this one. <laughs> Oof. No personal bias there. <laughs> it's like me picking a Giants game. Seahawks, Lions, uh, the once should have been a good Monday night game. Not looking that way. It's The real question here is whether you know, Matt Stafford, Matthew Stafford leaves the game on his feet or, or in a body bag. Seahawks. 
Luke? Yeah, I'm going Seahawks this week. Uh, in Seattle, Marshawn Lynch, is gonna. he's been having some fantasy problems lately. I think he's going to turn around. I'm with Luke, rumbling and tumbling. There goes Marshawn Lynch getting to the end zone three times. You watch. All day, Seahawks. Matt Morrow. Yeah, the Seahawks are going to do it, whether or not Corey will see. Luke's been giving us good fantasy advice. Is Corey going to give us good fantasy advice? Is Marshawn going to come back? Either way, the Seahawks are going to win. Christian? Yeah, I'm going with Seattle. They don't lose at home, and, you know, who knows? Maybe Marshawn Lynch gets shut down because Luke says he's going to have a big game. (laughs) We've learned not to trust a single word out of Luke Palmer's mouth today. (laughs) So, Vikings-Broncos, our our decided game of the week. Give me the Vikings to finally expose that Peyton Manning's arm is not as good as it says it is. A little better secondary, and Adrian Peterson to get him up the gut. Luke? Listen, the Broncos have escaped every game this season, it seems like. They're going to escape at home again this Sunday. You you may not like Peyton Manning's arm, but I'll take it any day of the week over Teddy Bridgewater's. <laughs> oh, boy, this Broncos defense is going to have pick city. Broncos, easy. Matthew? As much as we've been ragging on Luke, I agree with him. The, the Broncos do not look like the team they've been, and while, yes, Joe, Peyton's arm is not what it used to be, they'll be okay. They're beating Minnesota. Uh, Joe, I like where your head is at is this one, but I think Denver, just because they're at home, will pull it out. Well, I'll agree to disagree, gentlemen. Rams-Cardinals, a divisional matchup. This um, this is not the upset special for myself, but give me the Rams over the Cardinals. Let's see what they can do against the pass rush. Uh, Rams got a great pass rush. I don't know if I trust Carson Palmer. I don't know, Luke. What do you think? Listen, I'm going with my once fake cousin, He's not my cousin, but he used to be my cousin when I was in third grade. Um, In my head, I'm going with the Cardinals this week. Corey? Yeah, high-flying Arizona offense is striking on all cylinders right now. Give me the Cardinals. Matthew? Yeah, I can't take take St. Louis. Arizona's got the best point differential in the league, I believe. Plus 77, I think it is. They're going to roll. Okay. St. Louis. No, 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 excuse me, oh, Arizona. No, 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 you said Arizona. it. It's Arizona. You agree with me. Somebody coming in there with the wrong team. So let's talk upset specials. You're looking to shock the world. You're looking to shock your survival pool. Give me the Jaguars, who looks who looks not great, obviously, against the Patriots, but who really looked quite well against the Dolphins to beat up on the Andrew Luck-led Colts, or at the very least to cover that spread of plus nine. Listen, I'm choosing, this is a small upset, but I'm choosing Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the Carolina Panthers this week. I'm doing something crazy. I'm doing something crazy. Oh, I'm, no. I'm, I'm changing my pick from before. Okay. Giants over the Bills. That's my upset pick of the week. Eli Manning gets it done upstate. The internal battle is over for Corey Miller. Go Blue to Matt. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Corey. You're going to be wrong, but I appreciate that. <laughs> not even a Giants upset fan. <laughs> um, upset, I, uh, Brandon Whedon is going to come out and be the uh, superstar that he looked like for the first half. He's not, but they're still going to be the same. All right, guys. Uh, just you know, clarification, last pick. I'm picking the Cardinals over the Rams. And this week's upset pick, I said it before, I'm going with Miami as a one-and-a-half-point underdog in London over the Jets. All right. Well, that about wraps up our pick for the day. Another great session of NFL Friday. Uh, thank you so much to Matt Morrow, Christian O'Hara in the back there. Corey Miller, as usual, killing it on fantasy. Luke Palmer, best B-host in the game. And I'm Joe Marie. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's edition of WFUV's NFL Friday. This has been one-on-one's NFL Friday, only on WFUVsports.org. Join us next week as we take you around the NFL. We'll see you then.